It's Muppeturgy within a moosing. Are you really making me say that? (laughs) 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 Episode about the Petula Clark episode of The Muppet Show. Yay. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm David Levy. Here today with me are Adam Grossworth, Christy Bauer, and Michal Richardson. I have a feeling that we have perhaps misunderstood the question. Listener Mark Rowan referred us to an article on LiveScience.com in reference to the uh, sheep-pig hybrid we talked about in the Julie Andrews episode. Quote, it is a real animal, though it's not new, nor is it a sheep-pig hybrid. It's just a hairy pig. (laughs) Heard that before. Called a... Crap, you're going to really make me say this. (laughs) It's just a hairy pig. Called a mangalitsa. The Mangalitsa has no sheep DNA in it. In fact, it is more closely related to a wild boar. Thanks, Mark. And boy, do we feel sheepish. Boo. We are here today to talk about Season 2, Episode 20 of The Muppet Show. This was produced the week of December 13th, 1977, and it aired in New York on May 5th, 1978. It was the 22nd episode to air in between J.P. Morgan and Cleo Lane. It's not a big news week, but I was as I flipped through or scrolled through the first couple pages of the New York Times, as I do, you know that Twitter account, The Times is on it. So a bunch of headlines caught my eye. Uh, On the front page, new funds unlikely to alter New Yorkers' views on the subway. (laughs) Yep. On page two, page two of the New York Times, aspiring comedians find the going grim. Uh, uh Uh-huh. Thanks. Sorry, comedians. Yeah, this one is a little grim, but it it still fit the the bill. Aid for battered women called lax. Uh, uh Uh-huh. Yeah, nothing nothing has changed in 40 years. Let's move on to a weirdo night of television. I do enjoy when when we have a weird one. Following the Muppet Show, or I guess opposite the Muppet Show at 730 on Channel 4 here in New York, we had something called the Diet and Nutrition Test, which was described in the Times as a multiple choice true-false quiz. What? The choices are true and false? I, yeah, I like. I guess you were meant to follow along on the TV and take the quiz i don't know it was hosted by dr frank field who i remember like really clearly was like the the health and science correspondent for our local nbc affiliate channel four so i assume this was a local thing but what and if you think that's unpleasant it was followed at 8 p.m on cbs so directly following the muppet show you know for kids by uh america's junior miss pageant a beauty pageant specifically for high school seniors but that was hosted by Vicki yeah. Lawrence and Hal Linden. Several years of this pageant are on YouTube, not 1978. Uh, yay. I mean, I, I would have watched it if it were there. So I guess I'm glad it's not because I felt no temptation to watch the other <laughs> ones. But I, there's an amazing commercial for it that we will put in the show notes. Not for the event itself, but like the, the trappings of the 1978 network television special, <laughs> like around the actual pageant. It's worth watching for that. Um, At 9 p.m. on NBC is Wheels Part 2. I don't know how we missed Part 1, but uh, here's Part 2. This is, oh, probably because it wasn't on a Monday night, duh. Right, these these things didn't air. Part 1 on Sunday, Part 2. Right, they didn't air a week apart. This is uh, based on the Arthur Haley novel about the auto industry. Arthur Haley also wrote Airport, not Airplane. Airport, important distinction. It starred Rock Hudson, Lee Remick, Blair Brown, and yes, Jessica Walter. And uh, also for our Broadway cred, Howard McGillan was also in this. Um, He must have been very young. And on ABC, 
the stars salute Israel at 30. C- can you imagine? No. Like, I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but like, what the fuck? <laughs> and if you're imagining like a, a talent show, variety show, awards ceremony, banquet, 1978 extravaganza, only saluting a relatively new country. Uh-huh. And that country is Israel. Uh-huh. All of that. The only clip I could find uh, on YouTube is of Barbara Streisand, because, of, of course. Adam. It's wild. Streisand. Sand, like a beach. Anyway. She's very particular. I know she is. But you know what? I don't think she'll listen to our podcast. Well, now she won't. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Petula Clark. If you don't know the name, you probably know the voice. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown, just listen to the music of the traffic in the city. Linger on the sidewalk where the neon signs are pretty. How can you lose? The light's so much brighter there You can't forget all your troubles Forget all your cares So go downtown Things will be great when you're downtown And I tested this at home because Keith said, Oh, which episode are we recording tonight? I said, Padula Clark. And he gave me a blank stare. And I said, hang on a second. And I hit play on that song. And he goes, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that lady. Known in the U.S. as the first lady of the British invasion, Petula Clark is an international recording star, best remembered for a remarkable string of hits in the 60s, but her career actually began much earlier and still continues today. Born in 1932 in Surrey, England, Sally Alwyn Clark lucked into a radio career at the age of nine when she attended a BBC radio broadcast delayed by a World War II air raid. The producers asked if anyone in the audience would like to sing a song to help calm everyone's jitters while they waited for the bombing to end, young Sally volunteered. Her number went over so well, the producers had her repeated on the broadcast and then kept inviting her back, eventually making more than 500 appearances on radio broadcasts meant to entertain the troops. Her father gave her the stage name Petula, and her career soon expanded to include touring on the same vaudeville circuit as young Julie Andrews. As a teenager, she began acting in films and on television, including hosting her own afternoon variety shows. When she was 15, she met Joe Henderson, also known as Mr. Piano, who would become her first major musical collaborator and serious romance. He introduced her to a record producer who recorded her first singles, and in 1954 she had her first hit with the song The Little Shoemaker, which would also become her first international hit, reaching number one in Australia. The music she recorded in the 50s was very much of the easy-listening traditional pop genre, and it traveled extraordinarily well. Soon, Petula was touring Europe, and she would often record her hits in multiple languages, including French, German, Italian, and Spanish. In 1961, she had her first UK number one with Sailor, and her first gold record with Romeo. She also expanded her talents into film scoring, composing for four French films in the 60s. In 1964, just as tastes were shifting away from the trad pop that had served her so well, the songwriter who had been working with Petula as an arranger, Tony Hatch, brought her downtown, and a phenomenon was born. Released in four separate languages in late 1964, Downtown was a success in the UK, France, in both the English and French versions, the Netherlands, Germany, Australia, Italy, Rhodesia, Japan, 
and India, Downtown went to number one on the American charts in January 1965, selling three million copies in the U.S. alone. Tony Hatch and his collaborator, Jackie Trent, who would eventually also become his wife, would go on to write or co-write a string of hits for Petula, redefining her sound for the 60s and rocketing her into superstardom. Throughout the rest of the 60s, in addition to recording and touring, she continued to make television appearances, specials for the U.S. and Canada, and a series for the BBC. She appeared in the movie musicals Finian's Rainbow and Goodbye, Mr. Chips. And then in the 1970s, she transitioned into a more adult contemporary style of music, which is the style you'll hear in this episode of The Muppet Show. In the 80s, she began working in musical theater, with highlights including starring in a successful West End revival of The Sound of Music, making her Broadway debut as a replacement star in the musical Blood Brothers, and starring in Sunset Boulevard in the West End and on tour in the U.S., Although she more or less retired from acting on film and TV in the early 80s, she continues to record, give concerts, make television appearances, and act on stage right up to today. You can catch her right now singing Feed the Birds in the West End revival of Mary Poppins. So I went through a big Petula Clark phase, uh, gosh, about 20-ish years ago, which I think coincided with seeing her in Sunset Boulevard. I don't remember if I kind of dove into her music first because I knew I was going to see her or I saw her and was really taken with her and then uh, got to know her earlier stuff as well. But, uh, you know, uh, her songs are just have been a part of my life for a really long time. And, uh, you know, I've certainly seen some of her films and whatever, but uh, it's, it's those songs from the sixties in particular that really kind of define her for me. Uh, Does anyone else have Petula Clark thoughts and feelings? So Petula Clark is the first Muppet Show guest star that I have actually met. I met her at the stage door after one of the performances of that U.S. tour of Sunset Boulevard. This would have been like 1999, I guess, like 98, 99. I feel like it was right around New Year's. It was like December, January. It was very cold. And the only reason this matters at all is I was wearing this like V-neck shirt and I didn't have a scarf and it was snowing. And Petula Clark came out, took one look at me and said, cover yourself up, child. You're going to catch your death of pneumonia. (laughs) And so that's the first thing I think every time I see Petula Clark is cover yourself up, child. You're going to catch your death of pneumonia. But she was very nice. She was very nice. And she was quite good in Sunset Boulevard. David, we know you like Petula Clark. but What did you think of the episode? You know, I didn't dislike this episode. But I watched it twice, and it just did not stick with me at all. It might as well have never happened. So, uh, you know, it's it's fine, but I'm not sure I'm going to have a whole lot to say in this episode because, like, it really did not leave m- much of an impression overall. Michal? <laughs> David, you're jinxing us. We'll see how long this recording takes. Similar. There is so much fun in this episode, and there are a couple of songs that feel like the epitome of Muppety song to me that are in this episode. And then also it just kind of slipped right through my brain. Like a few days later, I was like, oh, when I rewatched it, I thought, oh, right, there are all this, all these things in this episode that I actually enjoyed. When we had a, a live cow backstage in the Julie Andrews episode, it was, it was weird. And, it, but they made it fun and weird. Then it zipped along. And this episode, there's this moose and the moose is fun and funny and Jerry Nelson's performance is very memorable and very like specific and goofy and slow. And there's something about it that just doesn't 
quite land, and that somehow becomes the only thing that sticks with you about the episode, even though there are other fun songs, and even though Petula Clark is lovely. All that said, this is a perfectly fine episode of The Muppet Show. I'd be happy to recommend it to anybody, and it contains some of my favorite Muppet things. There is a really lovely arrangement of a, an old standard and some excellent, terrible jokes. Yeah, I mean, exact same. I, <laughs> I, I really like it. And, it, but it's like not a top 10 or a top 20. It's, it's just really solid. Uh, Christy? Yeah. I mean, my, my notes say totally fine, utterly forgettable. It, I mean, it, th- there's nothing to be mad at. There are individual moments in it that I really enjoy, but yeah, it just doesn't cohere into anything that sticks. You know, I wonder, I mean, this is, this is my, like, like my personal thing of like the backstage, like the evolution of the backstage plot and the guest star. And the, I don't think this is any fault of Batula Clark, right? She doesn't do a lot with the Muppets, really. She has a great bit with Rolf, but I wonder if that's part of it, right? That she, it's not quite the Elton John problem, right? But like. Both she and the moose are just kind of there. They're kind of there, right? And she's lovely. She is there in a lovely way. But I, I wonder if that's why it, it's, it, it's like it, the parts are all good, but they don't cohere. I wonder if that's if that's the problem. Yeah. Oh, well, let's get into it and see see what we think. Patula Clark, twenty seconds or curtain, Miss Clark. Right, Scooter. I hate to complain, but there's a moose in my dressing room. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a mistake. Well, I should hope so. You're supposed to get the buffalo. <laughs> yep, so now we've met the moose. We will come back to the moose. Uh, no development in our yay evolution, but here's the uh, Statler and Waldorf bit from the opening. Well, it's downhill from here. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Did it look to anyone else like Petula had a punchline at the end of the moose thing at the top that got cut? Because at the very end, it's like she opens her mouth to say something and then it cuts away. Huh. I didn't notice, but maybe I just yeah I read it that she was just doing a take, but I could see that. Yeah, huh. would have made the whole episode land differently if they'd let her have that one punchline. Would have been more uh, amusing. There you go. The Gonzo bit is recycled from the Julie Andrews episode. The season one Gonzo puppet watches as his horn flies into the audience in a three D. I love the shade you just put on the season one Gonzo puppet. It's very noticeable, though. Yeah. It's like, why is Gonzo stoned? It's a, it's a very different puppet. He's kind of a sleepy Gonzo and a more relaxed Gonzo, a sadder but wiser Gonzo. So he smoked a little before the show. <laughs> so he doesn't have anything everybody. to do this this week except blow on that trumpet. It's fine. It's not even true. He's in nobody. He's in the boat. Oh, that's true. Gonzo's all over this episode. Like we said, forgettable. (laughs) (laughs) I already forgot. All right, let's go backstage. Yeah, Muppet Joe backstage. So backstage, we'll see how amused we are by all this. There's a moose backstage and sometimes on the stage and just kind of generally hanging around. And Kermit seems kind of willing to accept this with some skepticism. And then suddenly he's extremely perturbed by it. And the Moose, meanwhile, is just kind of determined to live here now. Do you mind if I hang out backstage here a while? Oh, I've got every other kind of animal. Why not a moose? You've got true grit, Frog. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, what, what is your name? Mickey. 
How about that? Mickey Moose. <laughs> Mickey Moose! Will you get out of my backstage? Mickey Moose, dumb name. <laughs> yeah, Kermit suddenly does this double take and is like, oh no, a moose named Mickey. We cannot have this. This will not stand. Is he afraid of the copyright police? It seems like maybe. I don't really understand why else this would all be happening. He's very upset about it. Does he think that the moose is fucking with him? Like he's really got some other name and he just wants yeah. to see what Kermit will do if he says his name is Mickey. I mean, the moose laughs like he might be fucking with him. <laughs> it seems like everybody's fucking with Kermit this episode. Also, why is the moose John Wayne? I mean, I know this is a futile question to ask, but is I there a reference I'm Jerry making? Nelson came up with a moose voice and then after he started doing it, realized that his moose voice sounded like John Wayne and then just threw in the True Grit reference. Oh, I'm tired already. Meanwhile, this moose bit and one from later in the episode were included on one of those 90s compilation videotapes of The Muppet Show. So this part has been seared in my brain. The rest of this episode I don't think I've ever seen before, but this I know like every nuance, every rhythm. Same, same. Yeah. Also, this moose on the loose backstage plot, the the timing of it is sort of funny uh, because this week that we're recording – a, a dog turned up uh, at uh, the Capitol. Did you guys see this story? Oh, yeah. What no. happened with that? I didn't see how that ended. I didn't either, but there was a, a, a random dog that turned up at, like, in the Capitol at, like, a Senate, like, committee hearing. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, they were like, oh, yeah, somebody left a door open. Like, what? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Right. Probably a Russian spy dog. Yeah, it was probably bugged. So everybody's fucking with Kermit this week, including Petula Clark. She's getting into the act. She really digs this moose so much that she's got a whole chorus of Muppets behind her all ready to put on these moose antlers similar to Mickey ears. Hey, you're not too happy tonight. Oh, well, 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 where'd you get that idea? Well, I gather you're not really thrilled about the moose, Uh, Mickey. Oh, oh, the the moose? Oh, Mm -hmm. listen, that's silly. I'm not bothered by that at all. Really? No. Oh, terrific. (laughs) Hit it, guys. This is like Kermit's kryptonite, or he's just really worried about the Disney lawyers. But yeah, they just There's a competition. Yeah. Or he's worried about competition, that if people remember the existence of Mickey Mouse, they'll stop watching Kermit. I don't know. But they just keep going for this joke. I I love the way they all laugh at him. Like, it makes him so mad, and they all laugh at him. And I'm so delighted by the way they're all ganging up on him. Like, sometimes it feels really mean, but this week it feels like he deserves it because he's so mad about nothing. And it just, I don't know, made me happy. Also, the Muppets really love poking specifically at the Mickey Mouse Club. So much so that I think there's a whole Muppet Wiki article just of references to the Mickey Mouse Club in Muppet Productions. Personally, I will never forget in the Cindy Crawford episode of Muppets Tonight when there's a flashback to when she was a frogateer in the <laughs> Kermit the Frog Club. Sure. I was going to say there's a whole other page dedicated to references to Annette Funicello, even though I don't think she has ever worked with the Muppets. But the Muppets love to talk about her. And why not? Sure. Who wouldn't? So, on the theme of them continuing to go for this Disney joke. Excuse me, uh, perchance have you seen a Mickey Moose around? Uh, who wants to know? Uh, Ronald. Ronald Duck. 
<laughs> Ronald Duck and Mickey Moose, would you guys get out of here? Come on, out, fall, fall, out, out. Moose and duck it's the duck. It, this time uh, performed by Richard Hunt, but it's the duck. Oh, it's the same duck? I think so. I somehow did not clock that. And he is wearing a little sailor outfit. Which is why. It's very cute. There are a lot of Muppets in adorable sailor outfits this episode. He's also looking directly at the moose when he says this, and it makes me crazy. Well, because again, he's fucking with Kermit. (laughs) I guess so. So this is just a Twilight Zone episode, or Kermit's losing it. Something's happening. Uh, Whatever Kermit is worried about, I guess it does finally happen at the end of the episode. If he's worried that having a moose around is going to wreak havoc, it wrecks things, but then they quickly fix them. Sorry, can we go back to the duck for a minute? Why is he British? <laughs> he has a what's the line he says at the end? There's a reference in he it. Quotes, he quotes what. Tale of Two Cities. The whole thing is so confusing. <laughs> right. Oh, so he's got a British accent because it's modeled after the actor Ronald Coleman, who is in the film version of A Tale of Two Cities. All this from Muppet Wiki. Sure. So I guess sure. once they decided on the name Ronald Duck, they were like, okay, what's funny about Ronald? And that's how they got there. All right. Fair enough. All right. I'll take it. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. On to the... Sorry. <laughs> Let's close it out. I'm going to There's been a little bit of trouble. Well, yes, I know. Well, look, it doesn't matter. Look, we can do without the fountain anyway. Those flowers, that lovely big spray of flowers, that'll be perfect. Oh, 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 well, about those flowers... Yes. Uh, the moose ate them. <laughs> oh. Well, it doesn't matter. We don't really need all that fancy decor. It's the kind of song that will work anywhere. Believe me, it'll be okay. Well, yeah, it will. Really? Anyway, we've given away the finale, but we have. that's what's happening backstage. Patula Clark is very sweet in that scene. Yeah. Uh, something else I noticed, because, I don't know, there's not a lot going on in this episode. Kermit refers to her frequently when she's not around as pet, which I assume is a name she is went his by. pet name for her. Right. Yeah, which no, I that's, thought but was, that's like a real nickname for her. Which I thought was very cute. Um, but then whenever he's addressing her, he calls her Miss Clark. But also when he introduces her, he calls her Pachula. And yeah. I hate it. It, <laughs> yeah. I, it made me I keep crazy. Because I was like, wait a minute, have I been saying her name wrong all this time? But then everyone else says her name, right? So I don't know. So should, yeah. she and, should she and Barbara form some sort of support group? Perhaps. <laughs> anyway, she's very sweet with Kermit. She's very sweet with Scooter. I wish that they had had more scenes together because it was really nice. There was fun stuff to be had with the moose. But yeah, could have used more Petula or Petula or Pet interacting with more Muppets. <laughs> Michal mentioned, we definitely have some super Muppety numbers this week. We start on the high seas. Well done, Michal. Aye, aye, Captain, sir. Oh, I'm tired already. Uh. Well, we'll be sailing with the tide. We said farewell to our girls and brides. Yo, ho, ring the rat. Hoist the hitch. Bury the hatchet. Root the deck. Beat the breeze. Lark is closing the horn. And soon we'll be out on the ocean form, so let's heave ho with the will. Heave ho! And come jolly tars, let's sing while we can. For soon we'll all be deathly ill. Glad you got in the deathly ill bit. Oh yeah, had to. (laughs) 
So, so this is a song called Sea Shanty. Uh, it's uh, another A. Burroughs song. The Lost Bet continues. Now, this one's delightful. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, adjusted for inflation. It's uh, from uh, an album called A. Burroughs Sings from 1950. And it's the same album that the Gypsy's Violin song from the Peter Sellers episode comes from. Uh, and it's sung by Fozzie, Link, Robin, Gonzo, and Scooter, the five people you meet in heaven. The worst combination of people to be stuck on a boat with, I think. You think they just said to the main cast, each of you gets to pick one of your characters who can be in this number? Because it's such a random assortment. Like, why Link? Why is it not Kermit? He's a captain. a captain. Kermit can be a captain. No, he can't. They made a whole movie about Kermit being a captain. Everybody else was dressed in adorable sailor suits, and Link was dressed as, like, an airline pilot. Like, they must have already had that costume. He's like a cruise ship captain. I feel like Jim was super committed to the bit of how bad a singer Link was. Like, I think they just thought, like, oh, this is the funniest choice we can make. I guess. So, although I am on the record as a fan of operetta, I am not a particular fan of Gilbert and Sullivan-style operetta, and this, to me, reads like a second-rate parody of Gilbert and Sullivan. It just, like, hits none of the marks for me. Did someone lose a bet to Burroughs? Because there were three songs in the last episode, and now there's one in this one, and it really feels like they're just trying to, like... You know, like, when a network... Like starts airing a TV show. I guess this doesn't happen anymore with streaming, but like starts starts airing a TV show like th- three a night because <laughs> they have to get rid of them contractually. That's what this feels like to me. Maybe he gave them to the Muppets for free. Like they don't have to pay royalties on but these. They songs. can spread them out. I I find it so weird. It is weird, but also I freaking love this. I mean, and it's imprinted in my brain from whatever album I had it on. It feels extremely Muppety to me, as with some of the other A. Burroughs songs that we've heard. I'm I'm in favor of this. Yeah, it was on three different albums. The the second Muppet Show album, uh, Silly Songs and Muppet Hits Take Two. So they apparently were fond of this. Now, I had two of those albums, and yet I have no memory of this song. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I loved finding out that they're in a rowboat. Like, whatever I was picturing, I heard this song as a kid and pictured them on a big ship. And instead, it's just the five of them in a rowboat that tips over at the end. And I because love that. They, they should be on a big ship. Because, yeah. I mean, I, like, the lyrics are parody lyrics anyway. But they also, like, they're singing about a sailing ship. Yeah, hoisting the sails and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I my, my fan fiction is that their sailing ship is already sunk. This is a lifeboat. Oh, that's how <laughs> I read it as well. Yeah. So, you know, they're not good at this. That makes sense. Um. Or I guess like they're on the the robot that you take out to the to the ship, like the can't and they never make it to shore, the ship. Which is yeah, I don't know. Um, I I thought it was cute. I don't ever want to listen to it on its own. So you know, the idea that you all listen to it as children on an album, I find very odd. Though it explains a lot. But um, they're so cute in their little sailor outfits, especially Robin, <laughs> like sitting on the edge. Very adorable. I did appreciate the effect that they use that sort of layered the water in front of the boat. Like it's one of those like totally unnecessary little go the extra mile things that they did with their 1977 camera tech. And I thought that was cute. Yeah, it was. So uh, on- onward we go to Bossa Nova land. When he walks, he's like a samba, 
that swings so cool and sways so gentle that when it passes, each girl he passes goes, oh, oh, but I watch him so sadly. How can I tell him I love him? Yes, I would give my heart gladly. But each day when he walks to the sea, he looks straight ahead, not at me. Tall and tan. So it's the boy from Ipanema, or as it was originally written, the girl from Ipanema, which is a bossa nova standard uh, it's sort of the or bossa nova <laughs> song it was written by uh antonio carlos jobim who uh is the father of bossa nova and uh as it turns out a favorite and eventual collaborator of uh noted joe Reposo stan frank sinatra bingo yep and the original Portuguese lyrics were written by Vinicius de Mores. I'm probably butchering that. Um, but the English lyrics were written by a lyricist named Norman Gimbel. And if that name sounds vaguely familiar to you, it's because Norman Gimbel uh, wrote the lyrics to uh, Jim Croce's I Got a Name, which was in the Lena Horne episode. Also wrote the lyrics for uh, Killing Me Softly with his song. Uh, and uh, he won the best song Oscar with It Goes Like It Goes from Norma Ray. And if, if that, mm. yep, yep. <laughs> AKA a terrible decision on the part of the Academy. Um, it, uh, that was the song that beat the Rainbow Connection. The Girl from Ipanema uh, is believed to be the second most recorded pop song of all time. Uh, number one is uh, Yesterday by Failed Skiffle Outfit, The Beatles. It's funny, I have no trouble believing the girl from Ipanema might be number two. Yesterday does not feel like the most recorded pop song to me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'm aware that covers of it exist, but I haven't. None like, of I wouldn't even think of me. that as the most covered Beatles song. What about the places? Sorry. <laughs> right? <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is a uh, Petula Clark singing with a boss man. Muppet, uh, giant Muppet behind her, uh, which was one of the characters that was developed for that Nancy Sinatra stage show. This, this is fun. It's fine. I wanted it to be funnier. Yeah, I clipped the part I clipped just because I really wanted to capture Phil Clark going, oh, <laughs> when she's like between his legs. Yeah. Because um, like in the first verse, she does a much more sultry, like the way you would normally do that beat. Yeah. But yeah, like it's not. I love this puppet, and I, I, I love watching watching him, and he's funny, and sh- I think she's doing a great job. But yeah, it's, there's not really a, a joke. Joke. There's sort of a built-in place for a joke, and I I, I brought a, a version of this to illustrate. Tall and tan, young and handsome, the boy from Ipanema goes walking in. When he passes, he's so yeah that that that's diana crawl in a screaming goat god bless i think she does a lovely job 
she sounds great. She looks fantastic. Yeah. And that's a fun puppet. And also, man, I have so little patience for the song, The Girl from Ipanema. <laughs> I also have very little patience for the song One Note Samba. So maybe sensing a theme here. Mm. You're racist <laughs> also, against Brazilians? I have little patience for songs that only have a note or two in their melody, I think. I think it's more about the songwriting than it is about the samba or the bossa nova. I'm not blaming it on the bossa nova. Uh. Um, yeah, I I don't know why I like this and why I like this song. And I, I went like looking for other versions. And this like this has to be the only version I know. It's her pants. It's her pants. Where where like the the sillier songs I think are 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 very much like Muppet memories for you guys. Like this kind of stuff, the sort of like classics or or current-ish pop song, either done very straight or done with like a very literal Muppety interpretation. And I don't think this is a great example of that. I think there are much better ones. Some we've seen, some that are are to come. Where like I like I know that the Muppet Show is the first place I ever heard. Buffalo Springfields, for what it's worth, or Copacabana, which are, you know, in our future and are amazing. This isn't that. Like, this isn't on that level. But, like, this is a song that I've known my entire life, and I'm pretty sure it's from The Muppet Show, and I just like it. I don't know why I like it. I, mean, I, don't, think, I don't think you're wrong, Michal. Yeah, but I'm also appreciating that, like, they took a standard, and they made it Muppety, and they made it weird. Yeah, and that's fine. I just love how weird this puppet is, and I love like you can sort of see in HD. Like, there's a couple moments when you can see the puppeteers in black, but like the way that they've designed the set, like I think the set is beautiful, even though you're like that's a big black void. But like they 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 make it work in a way that they haven't always on episodes we've talked about for me anyway, and that hasn't always made the HD transfer. Sometimes, and I'm just like, oh, there's a couple moments when I'm like, oh, I can sort of see like a human leg against the puppet leg, but like it's it's pretty flawless. I just I just love the way he bounces. I don't know. I find it delightful. Uh, that song brings back memories. What memories? I forgot. So we get. How do you even? <laughs> should should we have Kermit do it? Yeah, let's have Kermit explain. This week's UK spot. Switzerland has given us watches, chocolate, and silliness. Uh, we take you now to the Alps for the latter. Your foot is in my pumpkin pie. Underwear with ham on rye. Chicken lips and silly things. We're unemployed, so let's all sing. This one burrowed into my consciousness from hearing it on those albums. Yeah. See, Shanti, I love all that wordplay. It's a good time. This song, this touched my soul. This was everything Muppety and weird and random and absurd that I aspired to be as a child and as an adult. I I considered very carefully, if I were to quote this in my high school yearbook, which lyric would I quote? And I didn't end up quoting this. I ended up quoting Super Grover, but I was very tempted by this. Which one would it have been? I mean, I do love my belly button left the room, (laughs) but the whole thing really is perfect. 
So yeah, I had a hard time finding anything about this song. It's another one that was on the second Muppet Show album. And on that album, it's credited to Traditional, arranged by Aubrey Kennett. And I found very little about Aubrey Kennett. He was apparently a British arranger in the early 20th century and did some work in the London theater in the 30s. But yeah, the provenance of this song is a mystery to me. I did find a book for sale of traditional folk songs arranged by Aubrey Kennett. I have such a hard time understanding this as a folk song, unless that it's the sort of thing where the upadi part is traditional and it's traditional to say silly things, but the Muppet writers maybe wrote their own silly things. Yeah, that that's my suspicion. Well, I mean, kids, kids songs, right? There's a lot of silliness. This seems like it has variants in French and Portuguese and German, where they're called UKID and other similar words to UPID, but not exactly UPID. So that's cool. So we haven't mentioned yet, this is happening on the same elaborate Alpine set as the Lonely Goatherd number from the Julie Andrews episode. And I suspect that this set is this season's Vendaface. Like... Mm. That makes sense. I yeah, was wondering. Like they, they went to the trouble of building it, and it's like, well, I mean, we got I got to get more out of it than one song. Yeah, because it's not just it's not just the set. It's also minus Kermit and Ralph. It's it's a smaller group of Muppets, but but all of these Muppets were also in Lonely Goat Herd in the exact same costumes. Yeah, it seems like they must have filmed it on the same day. Very possible. Um, but yeah, they're all in their little. Um, you know, beer. also, I feel like some of these, well, I guess, yeah, these costumes are more Austrian than Swiss, because of course they are, right? I was about to say, like, these, are, these feel more German than Swiss to me. Yes, duh. Well, but I mean, Switzerland, Borgia, yes. Germany. A lot of overlap, South but I'm just saying, German like Lederhosen, and anyway, there's a whole thing. Um, uh, we didn't mention this when we talked about Lonely Goatherd, I don't think, but several weeks ago, we said, because Muppet Wiki told us that it was true, uh, that we had seen the last of Miss Mousy. No, we hadn't. <laughs> Because she was in Lonely Goatherd, and she's in this. And she does not wear an uh, Austrian-German-Swiss uh, costume, because she never does. Why? She will not disrobe. She's been given her robe, and she won't take it off. Like, I remember we talked about it in that duet she had with Kermit, and, and we justified it dramaturgically that she was in her nightgown and cap. But now it's just weird. <laughs> Poor Miss Mousy. Justice for Miss Mousy. Give her a wardrobe. Justice, or at least a new outfit. I, I think maybe what Wiki was trying to say was that whatever week that was was the last time that she would like have a solo be featured. So we'll still see her, but maybe we're out of numbers where she is the lead singer. Right. She's no longer a character. She's now just a background player. Right. Yes. I still want to know why she's wearing a nightgown while she's out at the beer hall. <laughs> I was so surprised to learn that this was the UK sketch Mostly because it was featured on all these different Muppet albums. It's so weird to me that a song that they thought was good enough to put on a record was not a song that they actually broadcast to the people who'd be buying those records. Yeah, I don't know who made those decisions, but we have to live with them. So our next Petula Clark number is a Stevie Wonder song, and it's very sweet. This only happens when you're around. And I can't go on this way We 
with it getting stronger every day and yet being too shy to say I really love you so this is too shy to say which is a Stevie Wonder song from 1974 from an album called Fulfillingness's First Finale. Say that five times fast. And Stevie Wonder, I probably don't have to say it a ton about, but some interesting things that we learned. So he's the only artist to have won album of the year with three albums in a row. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. And he's won 25 Grammys. It's the most by a solo artist. I didn't know that was possible. Yeah, and also uh, won the best song Oscar. Will will we have accounted for every single best song Oscar win by the end of this? (laughs) I mean, you know, concurrent to the Muppet Show. Like, it's hard out here for a pimp is not going to come up. But I mean, maybe not for every song that won, but probably for every songwriter who did. Yeah. Hmm. Somebody make a graph. We're waiting. My my favorite. Stevie Wonder fact that I learned while prepping for this was that his first number one hit was when he was 13 years old, making him the youngest artist ever to have a number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, which was the song Fingertips. Right. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So this is uh, Petula and uh, Ralph. And before uh, the song happens, There's some interesting business involving the mechanics of the piano. (laughs) And what is this doing in there? What's the piano tuna? (laughs) That should be okay now. Hey, nice job, fish. I'll pay you tomorrow. I don't believe it. You pay a fish? Yeah, but not much. He works for scale. (laughs) I think we better do our number, Ralph. I love that exchange so much. Me too. I also just, it's very clear throughout this number that Petula Clark wants to fuck Ralph. And it's been a while since that's happened. And it makes me happy. Been a while since anybody's wanted to fuck Ralph? Because you don't know. No, no, just on, on the show. <laughs> it's been a bit. And yeah, they have some chemistry. I like the set that this was on too. It's It wasn't just Ralph's piano against the plain blue psych. It actually had like a sense of place to it. Like you get the feeling that they were Somewhere in like a corner of the Muppet Theater. That Petula Clark sure can carry a tune. Yeah, she's got to do better than that tonight. She's got to carry the whole show. I was really expecting a carry the tuna joke. But I guess they they already went there. (laughs) So we end on a very new for the time show tune. And I'm stuck with a day that's great and long. Stick up my chin and grin and say, So you got to hang on till tomorrow. Come what may, tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you. Tomorrow, you're always a day away. Yeah, I'm glad you got those horns in there. Oh yeah, I am. I have 
a lot of opinions about the song, most of them negative, but I am obsessed with this arrangement and I, I know you so are great. too. Oh. Yeah, so it's Tomorrow from Annie, which was a brand new Broadway show in 1977. It was the 1977 Tony winner for Best Musical. Just shout out once again to Good Sweet Musicals that keeps coming up. It, it originated there. <laughs> Yeah, fun fact, I am the oldest person to have played Annie in the Goodspeed Theater. <laughs> uh, now, not officially, not in a production, but uh, we we did a, a residency at Goodspeed when I was in grad school, and we used to do a thing where we would all get together and do a stumble through of an existing show for educational purposes. And while we were there, we decided to do one that started at Goodspeed. So we're like, let's do Annie. And I ended up playing Annie and I was 27 years old. Um, so, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, music by Charles Strauss, uh, lyrics by Martin Charnin. And yeah, the setup of this number is pretty artless. I mean, it's not like what about the places artless? It's close. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's real close. It's just sort of like, well, everything's going gone bad. So sorry. Yeah. Okay, well, it'll be better tomorrow. Ding. But, but then it does get better. They play this arrangement of tomorrow. Yeah. I, and I love that it, it starts as a, a, a dressing room thing, but then there's that like red wavy wipe uh, and suddenly we're in like, you know, late night, you know, like 1am SNL mode on the <laughs> stage. Like the risers, like the choir yeah. risers. Uh, yeah. And Droop is there. <laughs> it's yeah. that thing that we've noted before where like in the, if there's like a big, a big company number, it's. For whatever reason, it's only Muppets we've seen in this episode, as if they're they're actual actors who are getting paid. Like, can't you just take another one off the shelf? I I don't understand it. But yeah, so it's 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 we've seen Droop already, so Droop is back. And um, Miss Mousy's back. But Miss Mousy's there. Fine. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. I mean, I know that like actually you can't just take them off the shelf. Like there is prep involved, but I still think it's really interesting and weird. <laughs> so random. Well, it's also maybe. It's a little distracting if you haven't seen Miss Piggy in this episode, and then all of a sudden Miss Piggy's singing backup. True, you know? true. Although, if you were watching this in New York in 1977, you wouldn't have seen Miss Mosey because she was only in the UK spot. Tricky. Hmm. Just to correct myself, I think when we got into it earlier, I said uh, this was an arrangement of an old standard. And as I was saying it out loud, I was like, what year was Annie from? Right. right. Okay. <laughs> it just feels like an old standard. <laughs> well, it's an old standard to us, even if it wasn't to them. <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah, no, I I was thinking about this and I'm like what would the equivalent be if if this were now and I'm like it would be like a song from like 6 in canto. Yeah, yeah, right. Like I was about to say Hamilton but even that is too old. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually think the Encanto is probably a more equivalent example. Right, even though Yeah, as, as far as the cultural <laughs> footprint. Yeah. I am on record as believing that much of the score of Annie is child abuse. <laughs> but I no, and I'm like I'm. I mean, it's funny, but I'm. I am being totally sincere that like I actually, I think it is so hard for a child to sing this song and sound good. And this and maybe which are are they the first two songs on the show? I, hard not like. Yeah, it, 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 it might, might be in between them. And so, like right out of the gate, I'm like, I hate this little girl, no matter how talented she is. And so it's also like, a, I know that many, many adults have covered the song, but it's not a song that I tend to seek out because I hate it. And 
I found it so refreshing, both the groovy arrangement, but also just Petula Clark's voice. It sits so nicely in her voice and it's not yeah. whiny and it's not like grating. And I was like, oh, oh, how delightful. Also in the stage version, there are like 14 reprises of it. Like at a certain point, we're like, we get it. Yeah. Oh, go <laughs> is away. It, is it tomorrow yet? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. What? Get out of show business? Let's get down to some show business. We've got this chicken western sketch thing. Uh, it's kind of a concept piece. It's a western. It's a silent. Well, there's music, but there's no dialogue. We're in a saloon, and it's populated entirely by chickens. There's clucking. There's clucking. There's no. Yeah, it's not a talkie, but it's a clucky. And also Gonzo is just behind the bar silently, which is a lovely touch. And there's the TR Rooster puppet. And then in walks a puppet named the the Black Rooster, performed by Frank Oz in this very limber and expressive way. So it's fun the way he rings himself all around as this bad guy and like flirts with the chickens and leans casually on the bar and then spits on the rooster. They have a shootout. TR holds up a frying pan and the bullet ricochets off of everything in the bar takes out the the villain with a light fixture and TR rides off into the sunset. The end. This went on way too long for me. (laughs) (laughs) Although I will say the, the ricochet moment with all of the reaction shots is very funny. Yeah. Like Gonzo ducking behind the bar and it disrupts somebody's poker chips. That is fun, but yeah, it takes a long time to get there. I would love to watch a Muppet Western populated entirely by chickens, but I I would love to see one that's a little more fast paced than this one. I really like, for the most part, the recurring Muppet show sketches. And I rarely like the one-off sketches. Yeah. Every so often there's a one-off comedy sketch that really lands like that Lou Rawls one. But yeah, this one, they were they were trying. So supposedly the the writer Joseph A. Bailey had this notion to produce Muppet Show sketches that would work internationally and to use known movie tropes to do it. So this does accomplish that. And it is very interesting and Muppety to see those roosters circling each other. But yeah, it goes on a bit. There's an almost identical shot in the Dark Crystal of the two Skeksis, the the Chamberlain and the other guy uh <laughs> circling each other which is like makes sense because they're bird-like but i was really struck like i actually went and looked at it we'll put a gif in the show notes it's it's almost the same shot of them circling each other and and just like the puppetry of that and i think one of them one of the skexes is frank oz i think it's just like an interesting bit of parallel something or other i don't know the puppetry is really neat but yeah i didn't care i give them good effort for this it's cool to Watch. It's cooler to watch if you can speed through it. Meanwhile, at the dance, Janice is dancing with Dr. Teeth. And also, there's Droop dancing with one of the Myrtle Dops who captured Dom DeLuise earlier this season. I'd like to take you home to Mother. Really, Harold? Yeah, maybe she could teach you how to dance. Why is your mother trying to keep us apart? I don't know. I'll ask her. Mother, why are you trying to keep us apart? I think my nose is too large. Oh, Phyllis, you're blowing it all out of proportion. Uh. That was an exploding nose there. 
Hashtag not my droop. <laughs> that was a, that was a new droop voice, right? I think so. Yeah. The wiki says that Richard Hunt was performing droop in this sketch. So that's possible. I know that it didn't sound quite right. Sounded much too suave. I mean, at this point, there is no stable droop voice, so it never sounds right. True. Happy to see droop, nonetheless. I do love that. But that first joke was so mean spirited. <laughs> the maybe she can teach you to dance. It was mean spirited. I do love the mother standing physically in between the two other dancers, keeping them apart. I thought that was very funny. Also, at the, the top of the sketch, uh, he doesn't get a joke, but uh, George is dancing with someone who is not Mildred. It's <gasps> scandalo. Oof. Was anybody tracking George and Mildred continuity and droop voice continuity the way that we are? I cannot imagine. <laughs> they had better shit to do. Anyway, here's Veterinarian's Hospital. We've got an operating table that we find out partway through the sketch has a hole in it. Today, the patient is slipping fast. He must have something else. He better have money for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I don't make a cut till I take my cut. (laughs) Yeah, so this patient is slowly slipping inside the table and finally disappears right into the table, uh, which seems to have some kind of black hole in it that swallows Dr. Bob and then Nurse Piggy and then Nurse Janice. I... I'm curious to know how this played at the time uh, or like how it was intended at the time. Cause I mean, it feels sort of like a critique of like, you know, the hotshot surgeon, like on a medical soap opera or something, but I feel like now it works just as well as a critique of the American healthcare system, which was not any better in the seventies. I just don't think we were talking about it in the same way. A little bleak <laughs> that joke about getting paid. Yeah. Funny. I laughed but a little bleak. <laughs> That's the thing. It's still a good joke. We're going to get one last visit from the moose this episode. The Swedish chef is making chocolate mousse with, you guessed it. Good, good chocolate. And then he puts chocolate directly onto the moose puppet, which worries me. Yeah, I wonder what that was. I mean, it wasn't like fun foam or whatever it is that they they use when they have no, to do it, bubbly stuff it this looks is like chocolate. Just, yeah or paint or some brown liquidy stuff but i mean the puppet recovers and is used in later muppet and sesame sketches and then kermit puts a stop to this whole thing because he just cannot stand the sight of this moose for whatever his reasons are i feel like a moose maybe kicked his puppy once or something oh did you not think he was rescuing the moose <laughs> like he rescued robin a few weeks maybe. ago oh, that's how i saw it yeah so now he cares about the moose. I'm getting some mixed messages from Kermit here. But yeah, that's this moose episode. Well, I wish they had done that differently. How would you want them to do it? Better. We didn't moose that up too badly. <laughs> uh, well, we have come to the end of another episode. Does anyone have final thoughts? All right, Frog, we watched the show. Yeah, unlock the doors. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We'll be back next week with the Bob Hope episode featuring special guest Yael Kalman. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word and offer a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. 